Great to be back. I appreciate Tim McCabe last week covering and did a great job. I was watching him on the online and appreciate him. He'll be back in the future, so just hang on. Um, to, so today we're going to go ahead. I want to review a little bit and then we'll jump on pragmatism uh, today. But can somebody tell me what a worldview is? What is a worldview? Very simple definition. A wor- worldview is... How you, how you view the world, basically, right? How you see the world, how you view the world, the lens whereby you look at the world. Therefore, it's, a, it's about your presuppositions, right? You have to start somewhere with what you think about the world so that you can look at the world through that, right? And we talked about, of course, there's all kinds of those. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, we moved on to this. Uh, the next idea was there is a great divide. Philosophy tries to divide the world into two main areas right there's the blank and the blank Did anybody remember that they tried to the, exactly the secular and the sacred or the sacred secular divide and uh, that's false really for believers we know that this is God's world everything in it is his and for his glory and he rules and so for the Christian all of life is sacred uh, when, we're, when we're at work when we're at school at home uh, at church there is no distinction we are god's people in god's world all the time and so everything we do is for his glory or should be and so today and in last week of course uh, we, we we saw we saw secularism as a big kind of a catch-all for many many worldviews that are under that idea of secularism which is basically the world here and now we're living for the world now not thinking about the future any consequences in the future and it moves then into what we talked about last week, naturalism and humanism. And so that idea that, that naturalism, that everything is from natural causes. There is no God. There is nothing outside of accident that, that just brought this world into being. Humanism, again, man's the, the end all, right? Man and his ingenuity can solve all things. He's his own God, basically. And now this week, then, that moves us into pragmatism. So we'll, we'll look at this. Now, many of our ideological worldviews have been imported to us from people in places like the Greeks, the Romans, and other influences from Europe. But pragmatism was made in the good old USA. Pragmatism is, was born in uh, America. And the picture of this 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 idea of, well, we'll look at it. I, I, I want to I look at this, the word itself, pragmatism. What is it? Pragma. It's, a, it's, it's pragma, and then we say, we add that ism on the end, it makes it an ideology. But what is that word pragma? Pragma. What does that mean? It means, anybody know? I don't know. I want you to tell me. I, okay, here it is. <laughs> To act or to do. Practice, right? It's something you're doing. It's action. Pragma, to act, right? Get down to business, so to speak. So let's talk about the history of pragmatism then. Um, When did it begin? It began around the 1870s as an ideology, as a movement, as a philosophical movement in our world. About the 1870s, a group of guys... Uh, were at Harvard. And you may know some of these guys. You've probably heard some of their names. Maybe not all of them, but here's a few. Uh, Charles Pierce. John Dewey. If you're in education, you know John Dewey. Uh, also, 
William James, well-known philosopher of, of that era. And then Oliver Wendell Holmes. Anybody ever heard of Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, Supreme Court Justice early on? And these guys and some others were at Harvard and they started a club, a little kind of fraternity, and they called it the Metaphysical Club. The Metaphysical Club, what a club, right? <laughs> a star club and call it the Metaphysical Club. And what, 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 what is metaphysical? That's, that, we should start there, right? So metaphysical is two words, meta and physical. You, and, and so you didn't know I was really that brilliant. It, meta and phys, metaphysical, right? What does meta mean? Meta means after or beyond. So meta, after or beyond. And then physical is a little more easier. Physical is matter, the physical matter of the universe, the, 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 the physical, natural universe as, as we know it. So metaphysics. And it's interesting that metaphysics really doesn't, is not the study of the physical universe, although it's part of its name, because of the word meta. The word meta means after or beyond, right? So metaphysics beyond the physical, right, are beyond the natural, are supra above, and we get a word that says supernatural. So really it's the study of the supernatural is what metaphysics is. And that's what these guys initially wanted to do. That was their purpose. Let's think about the metaphysical. Let's think about that which is outside of nature. Let's look for these grand causes of creation. And is, is there a God? That's some of the questions that metaphysics looks at. Is there a God? And how do we know and all those kind of, and how was this creation uh, done by him and so forth? And yet they couldn't figure it all out. They couldn't figure out if there was a God. They, they, they came from a point in their studies where they got so frustrated at some point, they decided that instead of continuing to look for the metaphysical, the supernatural, and believe that there's something outside of the physical, they decided that all of our problems can be solved in the natural, Right. In, in, in practical ways, in the here and now, without looking to somebody else to help us. So having said, said that, you can see where, where there's a connection between naturalism, humanism, and pra uh, pragmatism, and, and all the other isms. Like I said, they're interconnected in some ways. And they fall into two big categories. Either you are a naturalist in a sense that man is his own God, or you are a theist believing there is a God outside of us. But as we say, these guys, they, they begin to say, hey, we can fix things in a practical way. Now, the interesting thing is during the time, the 1870s, you, you had many things happening. You, this is the ninth, early 19th century, uh, late from the early to late 19th century, after the, uh, the, the Enlightenment, right? You had the, the, the Enlightenment, and then you had this Industrial Revolution. And so things were happening, right? There were breakthroughs in humanity that were helping mankind deal with problems. And that's what pragmatism is all about, right? Let's fix problems. We got problems, we're living in the here and now. And all of us know that, we've, we've, gotta, we've gotta have food on the table, we've gotta have money to pay our electric, we've gotta have a car that runs so we can get to work, you know, we've got all the, we've got health problems, we've got problems. <laughs> Welcome to the world, right? And so again, pragmatists, that's the idea. We're gonna fix these problems now. Well, the timing, humanly speaking, was perfect because you had all these breakthroughs happening, humanly speaking. Uh, the 1800s, just look at the 1800s, some of the things that were developing during this time. 
In the 1800s alone, we had morphine. The, the stethoscope was, was developed for, for medicine, obviously. Uh, the steam locomotive, the combustion engine, air compressor, the light bulb, right? So no, no more being afraid of the dark. Just for the light switch, you got the dark. See, all the problems that we have to deal with are slowly and surely being kind of taken care of by man. You had, you had reinforced concrete in the 1800s. You had the invention of the cardboard box. I mean, look at this. How wonderful, right? So all of this stuff is happening, solving all kinds of man's problems. And, and, and so this whole philosophy emerged called pragmatism. And it, and it looked at life strictly from the practical here and now. And so the uh, fellows in the metaphysical club, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, they said we can't understand ultimate truth. So, so that was their big problem because if they can't look outside of the natural, the here and now, the physical, if they can't look past each other, they're not going to see ultimate truth. They're not going to see ultimate God or absolutes. So they said we can't know God. Therefore, we can't understand ultimate truth. There are no absolutes. So here it is. How do you then, if you can't and refuse rather to see God, and therefore you're not going to have a basis for absolute truth, truth and, and unchanging truth, well then, how do you determine what's right? How do we determine what's right? And here it is. Pragmatism's main question is, man, I need an eraser, don't I? At some point, you must erase. Hold on. I'm going to erase. Man, I think of football with this. There's the flag. Throw the flag. All right. Oh, all right, here's the question that pragmatism asks. Does, how do you spell does? Does it work? That's the question that pragmatists ask. Does it work? That's, so, so this is the very heart of this philosophical idea of pragmatism, okay? Uh, now, now, having said that, uh, we have to be careful when we get into this realm here of well, does something work? Is it effective? Is it efficient? We have to be careful not to confuse pragmatism with being practical. We can't confuse pragmatism, the, philosoph the philosophy and the ideology of pragmatism with being practical. God, here's the thing about practical. The, the, the pragmatist wants to be practical. They're concerned with being practical. And the Christian should be concerned with being practical because God is concerned with practical. Uh, what is the word in practical that you hear? Practice, right? God is concerned with our practice, right? We need to practically live out his truth as believers, right? He calls us not to be hearers of the word only, but be ye doers of the word there in James 1, uh, 22. So, so I kind of jumped ahead of myself there, but, but it's important that, that we don't confuse pragmatism with practicalness. Now, here's, here's the, the difference. The difference between pragmatism and being practical is found in Romans chapter 1. 
the, 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 the philosophical pragmatist, here it is, a pragmatist, one devoted to this concept, this philosophical concept of pragmatism, asking the question, does it work? And that's all I care about. They refuse to acknowledge God in his thinking. So the, pra- the, the, the philosophical pragmatist refuses to acknowledge God in his thinking. That's what Romans 1 is all about, right? Romans 1, 21 through 22, there on your sheet. Let's read it, look at it together. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise in their metaphysical club at Harvard, they became fools, is what Paul is telling us. This is just an example of man when he refuses to see God, when he will not seek after God, when he looks to himself for the answers, like all those fellows did, they become fools rather than wise. And that's the big difference. Here it is. The Christian, here's the difference. Metaphysics, metaphysics, or the metaphysics, the, the pragmatists will refuse to put God in the equation. It, it only matters what we can do, what works for us. But the Christian first looks to God and his commands and then practices those things in the practical life for the glory of God. And that's where James 1.22 comes in again. But be ye doers of the word. This is, this is the, a command. It's not just that we know the Bible. It's not just that we have the head knowledge or the, 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 the theoretical knowledge of theology. It's that we do it. Be doers of that word and not hearers only. Matthew 7, 16, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruit or by their practice, by their actions, not just by their theological ramblings. Now, there's not, obviously, the theology is the basis. The truth of who God is is the basis. The truth of what God has done for us in the gospel is that basis of our belief and our foundation. But we don't stop there. We have to practically live that out as Christians. So, kind of moving us back to, to, to pragmatism, let's, let's just notice in, in the next few minutes some of the problems of pragmatism. Pragmatism is not concerned with absolute truth. Therefore, pragmatism is a very postmodern philosophy now. There is no absolutes We don't care about absolutes. It doesn't matter because everybody has truth. The next thing that we see, for the pragmatist, truth is subjective and experiential so that they go hand in hand. There is no absolute. Therefore, truth is subjective. It's experiential. It's whatever I want truth to be, and it's whatever I experience for me to be true. And we heard a lot of this obviously beginning in the 60s and right on up into our day. It may be true for you, but it's not for me. What's true for you is not true for me. And you do you, (laughs) right? I'll do me. Nuts. Anyway, (laughs) it's frustrating, but it shows our worldview, right? What does Christ, what does the Bible tell us? It says, For the believer who's been bought by the blood of Christ, and we are now under his lordship, and God is our creator and master, the Bible says, if you're a Christian, you do Christ. 
He is our, he is our, our, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our, our everything. We're to emulate him. It's he who lives in us, not we who live anymore. So we stopped doing us when we died and we were born again in Christ. So one more thing here then. This idea of experientialism and the subjective idea of truth. This is interesting because one of the fellows in the uh, metaphysical club, <laughs> William James, became a really known uh, philosopher, a great writer, and he wrote a book called The Variety of Religious Experience. So this is pretty interesting because what this guy would do, he would analyze the faith of professing believers. And so basically he would, you know, come and, and sit you down in his study, or not, he wouldn't, you would come to his study, he'd sit you down, and he'd ask you questions about your faith, and you would tell him stories. You would say, yes, I was living life, I was, went, went, you know, went, things were pretty good, then I went to, to college and had some crisis, and, and things were happening in my life that were awful, I hit rock bottom, but then I heard about Jesus, and I, I accepted that gospel, and uh, my life is, is, has never been the same, and so he would say, hmm, okay, so was that a would you say that's a positive experience for you? Oh, yes, it's a positive experience. And then he would say, oh, good, then faith works for you. Faith works for you, right? Faith helps you cope with life. Your faith helps you feel good about the world around you. And your faith gives you strength. So your faith works for you. Now, that may sound good. People are like, oh, good, the, the fella... He, he was happy about the fact that he had faith, and therefore he must be moving toward God. Now, my question to you is that, what does that statement, your faith works for you, your faith makes you feel good, your faith get, helps you cope, what does that statement have to do with the existence of God? Absolutely nothing, right? Because the next thing or next statement that can be made is, I don't believe in God. I'm glad it works for you, though. Glad your faith works for you. So it's all about experiences, right? And subjectivity. Your truth is your truth. You believe in a God? Great. I don't. But hey, I'm glad to hear yours do, that, 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 that you do and it works for you. So <laughs> that, that, having said all that, truth, and this is the idea. This is what we have to understand when we look at pragmatism or any of these worldviews that deny absolute truth. And they say it's all subjective. No, that you can have your truth and this person can have their truth and I can have my truth. Here, here it is. Truth is classically defined as that which conforms to actuality, fact, and reality. That's just a classic definition of truth. You look up in a dictionary right now and you'll see. So what is that telling us? That's saying that there is an actuality, there is a reality, and there is fact. And that what is true lines up with those realities. Now, where does that reality come from? It comes from God. All actuality, all reality, all fact. And we know that all truth is from God. It's outside of us. Therefore, truth is absolute and objective. That word objective means outside of us. It's something that exists with or without us. I don't conjure up truth. I don't decide what's truth. Truth already existed before I entered into this world because God is truth. What does Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
What have we seen in Psalms already? That the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God because God is all wisdom and truth. And without God, there is no truth. He is truth. So pragmatism redefines truth. That's, that's the problem with it, right? It redefines truth to be subjective and whatever works best for you. And that's our world, right? Whatever works best for you. <laughs> Plays into hedonism and everything else. What makes you feel good? What makes you happy? Whatever works best for you. Well, be pragmatic about that. Just do all those good things. So as we continue looking at some of these problems back on your sheet, you'll see the next problem. Pragmatism doesn't care about what's right or wrong. So that's a problem when you begin to say, I don't care what's right or wrong. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, we, we, you can have a truth, I can have a truth. But it's quite another thing to say, you know what, I actually don't even care about truth. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I don't care if it's true or not. That's where pragmatism takes us. At the end of the day, I do not care if it's right or wrong. Pragmatism doesn't care about what God says. Pragmatism doesn't care about the commandments or the laws or the statutes of God. So it's a problem. And here's the next. Pragmatism only cares about what works now. Without any concern regarding future consequences. That's important. This really is a summation of pragmatism right there. Pragmatism only cares about what works now, whether it's right or wrong. Good or bad, who cares? Does it work and does it fix my problem right now? It's a problem-solving ideology. We got problems, we got to solve them, we're going to solve them right now. We don't, care. we don't care about the future, we don't care what the consequences of this action right now is as long as it brings temporary fix right now. And what happens when you do that normally? When you try to fix one problem, you're not looking down the future at the consequences of that particular decision, it will create usually more problems. So instead of one problem, you've now got three problems because of this decision. An example of this, without getting too political, is FDR, right? Back in, after the Great Depression. I mean, we had problems, right? We had problems. We had big problems, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the countries we know it was truly on the precipice of, of, of destruction in a sense. I mean, people were selling apples in the streets to live. They were, they were on the streets. There was soup kitchens. There was no jobs. There was, the economy was crashing. It had crashed. So FDR basically is a representation of pragmatism. People need jobs. Problem. Solution, right now, let's give them jobs right now. Just give them jobs. Oh, how's it going to affect the budget? We don't care. Jobs right now. Pragmatism, right? Oh, people need security, retirement. Let's give them security. Let's, let's give them this idea of social security. How's that going to work in the future? We're not worried about that. Let's just begin right now. What about inflation? Not, not accounting for that. We're just going to give this security. And then as things go by, as we know, things become a little more scary about, hey, can we afford this? Can generations down the road afford this? And I'm not, again, I'm not, war, I'm not trying to debate the rights or wrongs of this right now because I'm a pragmatist. No, but I am showing you the example of, a, of pragmatism in action. You, you make a quick decision to fix something now, and all that matters is not is it right or wrong, not what's going to happen in the future, but does it work, and does it work now? Does that make sense? 
And we're all good at that in our, in our own lives. This is the scary thing when pragmatism slips into our life. And instead of seeking God and his commandments and then making decisions and allowing his word and his truth to solve our problems, we humanly jump in and we don't care about if it's right or wrong. We don't care what God says. We don't care about the future. We just care, does this solve the problem right now? Okay, baby's crying. There's a sock. Stick the sock in the baby's mouth. Problem solved. But is that the best? We didn't think about it, but pragmatically it works. Or put the baby outside in the backyard. Whatever. Problem solved, but is it the best? Right? Is there not going to be some ongoing consequences of problems? Especially when your wife finds out. (laughs) Why is the baby in the backyard with a sock in her mouth? Had a problem. And there's a solution, right? Anyway, I hope you get the the point here. Now, here's here's something that I I just want to close with the next few minutes about and bring it into the church. Because we see examples of pragmatism actually slipping into the church. And we see it especially over the last years from the 80s on uh, in America with something called attractional ministry, seeker-sensitive ministry. And by the way, we all need to be sensitive to anyone who's seeking after Christ. We understand that. But that's a whole different idea. The, the seeker sense of attractive ministry was an idea of birth out of pure pragmatism. Okay? The problem, churches were dwindling. Uh, people weren't coming to church. So instead of relying on the Word of God that tells us how to nourish a local church by preaching the word of God, trusting the Holy Spirit to break the hearts of people and to apply the truth of God's word and to make disciples that way. Well, we think, well, that's number one, that's too slow and we need to fix right now. And so pragmatically, what works? And and by that definition, the answer was what works? What puts people in the seats, right? What brings the people in? What gives us the biggest crowd? And so pragmatism in the church began to reign. Does it, the, whatever, what are we doing in our worship? What are we doing with our singing? What are we doing with our kids' programs? What, what are we doing as we structure our programs? Are we asking if it's right according to God's word? Are we looking down the road to see what are, what are the ultimate ramifications of this? No, we're saying, does it work now to bring people in crowds into the church. So pragmatism calls many to say, let's just cut down on some of the words we use when we're preaching. Let's stop using the word sin and let's stop, stop talking about hell. That's just not pragmatic. And let's give people what they want. They want a rock concert. They want a show. They want to be entertained. So we're going to add all that because that's pragmatic. Is it scripturally right? Does it cause a problem down the road? Do we now foresee what happened to the church? It didn't help the church in the long run. Now we have thousands of anemic professing Christians who were one, quote, one to the church or to Christ. I say that loosely by pragmatic means. Here's the problem. What we win people with is what we win people to. Does does that make sense? What we win people with is what we win people to. And that's where church leaders were not thinking ahead, but they were thinking pragmatically. Right now, what's a quick fix? And what happens now is we have anemic people in churches who have no idea about who God is, what his commands are, 
what it means to truly honor him, what it means to worship him, and what it means to live their lives for his glory. And again, I can't (laughs) be too hard on this because guess who the king of pragmatism is? Yes. Thanks. You didn't have to help so much, Glenn. But it's true. That's it. I mean, and I'm not maybe the king of pragmatism, but I was very pragmatic in in my history. That's why this is such a near and dear subject to me. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that as we were already at church, and if you were here, how many, I'm just curious as we got a few seconds here, a few minutes, how many were here? Well, I'm kind of curious. Might as well take some time here. River Valley days. Anybody was at River Valley? Wow. Well, look at that. There's five people. Faithful. You guys get a bonus pay for sitting around so long. <laughs> River Valley Church, established in 1999. Wow. How many were at Addison Baptist Church? Anybody? Wow, good night. Okay, you guys are something wrong. Okay, so forget all that. Now, here's the point. How many were at Impact? A part of Impact Church. Okay, more and more. All right. Impact Church was this church, by the way, for all you new folks. You didn't know. This was, this was called Impact Church. Very attractional. And then uh, around 11 years ago, uh, roughly, we, we saw the light, so to speak, and said that's not what God's commanded us to do. We're not to be pragmatic and draw crowds and just fill the seats. We're to make disciples biblically. We're to preach the word of God. We're to honor God in our worship. We're to teach people what it means to love his word and to surrender their lives to Christ and to make disciples and, and, and live genuinely for the glory of God. And, and we changed the name. And a lot of things <laughs> changed the name to Grace Covenant Church. Grace Covenant Church does not sound like Impact Church. There's a big difference there. One's more traditional than the other, right? So we'd already done that. We changed our name and began to focus on what God's Word commands us to do in our worship. And at that time, that's when Glenn and Helen came. And uh, boy, they, they, we talked a little bit. And they, they obviously came from a more reformed, traditional church. But they were attractive here because they saw where we were headed and what we were. But even then, we were sideways, if you remember those days. Uh, we were sideways in a lot of ways, but we were sideways. <laughs> we were sideways this way, had the lights all turned off, the shades blackened, and the spotlights on the stage, and everything was about look up here and excitement, loud music, blah, blah, blah. But by God's grace, here we are today. So I don't, I, I'm just showing you that I understand pragmatism i understand why there's good-hearted brothers and uh, sisters in the church that try to 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 do things for the right motive of ultimately bringing people to jesus but their methodology in pragmatism keeps people really away from the gospel and it attracts them to the pragmatic program instead of the gospel and so just wanted to say that just want to kind of throw that out there to to put a little frame around pragmatism. And here it is, folks. What's the antidote? Because we can do it in our own lives. It's like I just gave some examples. Don't put the baby out, Corey, in the backyard. But what's the antidote to pragmatism? This idea of I want to fix it now. I don't care what's right or wrong. I just want to fix the problem. And this works. So it works. I'm going to do it. The antidote is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. As believers... We are first and foremost and always to trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's a worldview, is it not? My heart is focused on God continually. I look to him as my creator, my sustainer, the commander of this universe. His statutes are true. 
So I will trust in the Lord. I will look to the Lord with all my heart, first and foremost, and not lean on your own understandings. Because pragmatism is birthed out of our understandings, right? <laughs> not leaning on God and trusting his truth. We think, I know better. I don't care if it's right or wrong so much. I just care if it works. And it makes good sense to me, so we're going to do it. Nope. The antidote to that is trusting in the Lord rather than leaning on your own understandings. And in all your ways, this is huge, folks, for our daily lives and as a church. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Remember, pragmatists refuse to acknowledge God. They only look to the here and now. They only look to the, the, the man-made and physical resources to solve their problems. But the Christian looks always, first and foremost, to the Lord does not lean on their own understanding, and in all their ways they acknowledge God as Lord and King of the, of the universe. And what will happen? He will make straight your paths. He will direct us. We can trust him and his word and his means, his ways of worship, his ways of evangelism, his ways of marriage, his ways of child-rearing, his, his ways of uh, relationships and, and loving people and loving our neighbor, all of that, we can rely on his ways. And though they may not be as quick a fix as our pragmatic ways, they are always true. They're always effective. They're always right. And they bring him glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that it is we look into these different views that many of us are awakened to the fact that some of these philosophies have even creeped into our own lives because we swim in these waters in this world that has multiple views. And the majority of them are, are not Christian, biblical worldviews. So Father, give us the grace to let your word be the corrective in our lives. Let us, let us be drawn back to you. Let us denounce those places and areas in our lives that are ruled by pragmatism and rationalism and our own understanding. And let us surrender our lives back to you and follow you faithfully, even though it's hard and even though it's not easy. Let us desire to bring you glory more than be convenienced by our own ideas and our ways and our comfort. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.